We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey Chargers fans, this is the Guilty as Charged podcast where we discuss all things related to the Los Angeles Chargers. We are available on all podcast platforms including Apple, Spotify, and Google. If you like the show, please leave us a rating or review. We do really appreciate the positive feedback. Make sure and follow us on social media including our Patreon account where as little as $1 gains you access to cool things like jersey giveaways and film breakdowns. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the show. Hey Chargers fans, welcome into another episode of the Guilty as Charged podcast. Joining me today is Alex. Alex, how you doing, man? I'm um, doing pretty good. Better day than however Clayton Kershaw is feeling right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were just talking about that. If you're a Dodgers fan, you know I feel your feel your pain today. Uh, Clayton Kershaw, you know one of the best players in the game, but just cannot seem to ditch that uh, that playoff those playoff woes at all. Yeah, it's just uh, tough. So. Jason Reed, I will try not to at you in the Slack chat too early tomorrow. <laughs> Good stuff, yeah. Uh, as a reminder, if you are feeling uh, feeling the need, you can go over to Manscaped and, and type in the code GUILTY in the, in the checkout and you get 20% off. You know, there, there's a lot of good products over there that can uh, make you feel like you're your best self and uh, 20% off is a good deal. So type in the code guilty at checkout for 20% off manscaped. Your balls won't be as big as Justin Herbert's, but they can be as clean as Justin Herbert's. (laughs) There you go. Again, promo code guilty at checkout for 20% off. So uh, let's start with the Le'Veon Bell situation. You know, obviously the Jets released him by now. They were attempting to try and, and trade him. According to Adam Schefter, they have been all season pretty much. Um, that they did release him, and he was deciding between ultimately the Bills, Dolphins, and Chiefs. And I guess he did decide to go with the Chiefs. Um, I'm not too concerned about it. What were your thoughts about uh, Le'Veon Bell joining the Chiefs? Yeah, I mean, I don't think it changes the macro of what the chiefs are um i don't think it takes the chiefs from being uh, a beastly team to something else like you know it's still the same team still the same threat uh and you know <laughs> they happen to add one of the most uh, talented running backs in the league uh, i think it'll be interesting to see how andy Reid uses him because uh, i th- honestly think this is the most maybe the most talented running back the only running back that i think could be considered more talented than Andy Reid has had as like LaShawn McCoy in his prime. Uh, but Le'Veon Bell, certainly in, in the receiving game, um, what he can do out of the backfield, what he can do as a runner and his vision. 
Um, he's just still super good, I think. Uh, New York just kind of wasn't meant to be um, because Adam Gase didn't really want him and Mike McCagnan wanted him. And then Mike McCagnan got fired after the draft. Um, so from that day forth, it was pretty clear that Le'Veon Bell's time in New York uh, would come to an end at some point. Um, as far as the... Yeah, the whole situation what, went... The, I was just going to say the whole situation is just a mess with Le'Veon Bell because, you know, you mentioned that Adam Case didn't want him. And then in his press conference or whatever, someone asked him about misusing him. And he was like, that's irrelevant. I don't think it matters if we misuse him. And it's like, well, it kind of is Adam Gaze because that's your job, especially as an offensive minded coach to like figure out how to get the most out of your offensive players. And that includes Le'Veon Bell. Right. Um, it just feels weird because it, it was kind of a strange power dynamic there because McCagnan had control and then McCagnan was out and then Adam Gase is kind of the GM. I mean, Joe Douglas is like the VP of football operations uh, and he sort of is, you know, pulling the strings, but Gase has had a lot of say in, in a lot of the football decisions that have been made there when it comes to the roster. So uh, yeah, I, it just felt like he never really wanted Le Bell, so it didn't work out. But uh, when it came down to the Dolphins, the Bills, and the Chiefs, uh, I never really felt like the Bills had a real chance just because, I mean, they have Singletary and Moss, and that kind of was a crowded backfield, I feel like, in general. Um, maybe there was something there with Josh Allen, but, you know, I, I really think it was down to the Dolphins and the Chiefs. Uh, Le'Veon uh, kind of likes Miami. I, I think he's from there. And, uh, you know, so if the Dolphins did happen to overpay, I wouldn't have been shocked if he would go there because his only other competition at this point is Miles Gaskin and Jordan Howard. Uh, so, I mean, that's certainly, you know, if you want to set yourself up for a future contract next year, that would be a place where I could see I could have seen him going. Um, but the Chiefs just made the most sense uh, in so many ways just because they have Patrick Mahomes. You have Andy Reid, who's one of like the best running backs coaches. Uh, you have Clyde Edwards-Elair uh, there, so you know he doesn't have to shoulder so much of the load. You know he's basically there to be uh, kind of the running back two or running back by committee, however they want to run it. Um, but like he doesn't have to have a super big role there; just you know has to impress in uh, kind of his moments, and that's how he's probably going to get another contract um, somewhere else, if not with the Chiefs. So I honestly think this was, <laughs> unfortunately for Chargers fans, probably uh, the, the perfect landing spot for Le'Veon Bell. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm super curious to see what he does in that kind of offense with um, Mahomes. And yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see. And luckily the Chargers don't play him, you know, for a while. They don't play until week 17. So uh, they were going to have to play him no matter what. You know, if he was on the Jets, Dolphins, Bills. Chiefs, like they all, they all are on the Charger schedule. So it is going to be interesting because you know the Chiefs' offensive line is hurting right now. You know that Kalikios and Mele is is out for a while, and that that hurts them a lot. Um, their offensive line has not been the same this year. Mitchell Schwartz is still fantastic, but that's that's pretty much it. So it's going to be really interesting to see. I know for a fact he's not going to face eight man boxes like ever again because of Patrick Mahomes. So um, it's going to be really you know, intriguing to see how Andy Reid use him. And, and, you know, you know, you would know this better than I do, but it seems like Andy Reid traditionally is more of a, I just have one running back that I trust most of the time. And then, you know, the other two or three running backs just kind of have some scraps. So uh, it'd be really interesting to see if this is like a true 50, 50 split with Clyde Edwards, Alaire, or if this is, you know, Clyde Edwards, Alaire still gets, 75% of snaps and Lehman Bell just kind of turns into a specialist. Yeah. I mean, that'll be interesting to see. Uh, you know, I mentioned, I, I think Andy Reed liked having someone like, uh, obviously uh, towards the beginning of his Eagles tenure, there was Brian Westbrook and then, um, LaShawn McCoy was kind of a little bit later. Um, I, I don't know if he ever really had two running backs that were kind of, uh, equally as good, which is, you know, I, I still think a will get a lot of the work out of the backfield. I think Le'Veon's going to be a guy who is kind of a field stretcher, uh, using a lot in the receiving game. Uh, I think that's kind of going to be the direction that uh, Andy Reid leans with it. And just the ability to have like three burner receivers, like, you know, Tyreek Hill, Sammy Watkins, uh, all of those guys, Travis Kelsey, Le'Veon Bell, 
like all going up for passes is just a horrifying thing to think about for teams that play the Chiefs. Like that's just insane. Uh, and Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes have kind of done it again with another, you know, in-season acquisition. Just um, crazy, you know. Damian Williams opts out and Le'Veon Bell walks right through the door, which is just insane. Yeah, I mean, lots of skill players, man. You know, Andy Reid has always been an offensive coach. It'd be interesting to see if they would actually have the same kind of approach on the defensive side. <laughs> um, you know, ultimately, I think this team, I, I still think that they're they're the favorites to win the AFC. But, you know, they've shown a, a little more cracks this year than they did, at the, you know, going down the stretch last year. So, um, you know, maybe Le'Veon Bell is, is the boost that they need, but. You know, that defense is, is still in trouble. That secondary was abysmal on Sunday against the Raiders. And you know you're doing a bad bad job on the secondary when Derek Carr torches you. So, you know, it, it's just going to come down to that defense. Um, so we are going to have an interview today with Michael Peterson. Before we get to that, we are going to go over our picks a little bit. Um, this past week, uh, I was fortunate enough to go 3-0. and Alex went 1-2. and So I am one or two games up on Alex. Um, Alex, who are your three picks this week? Obviously, the Chargers don't play, so we're not going to have Chargers predictions. Um, so league-wide, who are your three picks this week? I just want to say that I'm really stupid for believing that the Eagles could do anything um, last week. And <laughs> I apologize. That one was a pick with the heart. It was a pick <laughs> yeah, with the heart. I, you know, it was Philly-Pittsburgh, so I had to be a homer. Uh, but, <laughs> yeah, so this week I'm going Packers over the Bucks. Um, I, I think the Bucks will make that one competitive. Brady will rebound from his uh, fourth down uh, debacle. But other than that, um, I just think Rodgers is too on too much of a tear right now uh, for the Bucks to win that game. And I think he keeps his name in the MVP discussion. Uh, I'm going to pick the two Monday night games. So the first one is Chiefs and the Bills. The, the Bills just didn't look impressive at all this week, and that was kind of concerning because they had two full weeks of practice to prepare for the Titans, who basically had, like, what, right. three days maybe to prepare for this game? Yeah. Um, and they just got kind of got steamrolled, and, like, it wasn't even like, oh, Derrick Henry is just running over them. It was like Tannehill's just, like, you know, destroying them. Um, so I don't know. That, that pass defense kind of effort was concerning. Um, and you know, I don't know. So I'm going to go with the chiefs, uh, chiefs need a rebound win. Uh, not that they need one, but they're going to get a rebound win over the bills. Um, and my last pick, I'm going to pick a kind of an upset here. Um, I think Andy Dalton is going to do enough, uh, to beat the Cardinals. That game is in, uh, Jerry world, I believe. So I'm going to give the Cowboys a little bit of the benefit of the doubt, but I think they topped the Cardinals uh, in this one to get kind of their first kind of real signature win uh, of the season. Man, I, I still can't get over that Dak injury. Yeah. Just was so brutal to watch. Um, I like those picks a lot, though. I think those are those are some solid picks. Um, my upset of the week is going to be Jacksonville over Detroit. I don't know if you can really call it an upset in terms of like shocking or anything like that, but you know, Vegas is giving Detroit three and a half points. So, um, I just, I think Gardner Minshew is going to do the job well and the lions are terrible. Uh, I don't know if you saw that stat that PFF tweeted out that <laughs> Aaron Donald has more pressures than the entire lions team. So, uh, the lions are a mess right now. <laughs> um, my second pick, I'm going to go the Titans over the Texans. Uh, you know, you mentioned how good they looked and, you know, Ryan Tannehill has just been on a tear in the regular season. Um, you know, they're undefeated. Obviously, I don't even feel like Derrick Henry has had like a good game yet. It's just been Ryan Tannehill, Tannehill and that defense have been fantastic. Uh, and then I'm, I'm with you. I'm going Green Bay over Tampa Bay as well. I think Aaron Rodgers, as shocking as it is, I think this, you know, if he continues his pace, this might end up being like his best year of his career. So. You know, Aaron Rodgers, man, he's, he's just never ceases to amaze me. And, uh, you know, it's just a shame that we haven't been able to, you know, witness him win more, some more Super Bowls because he's arguably one of the best quarterbacks of all time. Uh, Josh Norman, I'm issuing a public request for you out of your own <laughs> safety um, to retire. Uh, I think you need to pull Avante <laughs> Davis. Just go home. Uh, it's over. 
Man, that was... <laughs> and it didn't even count was, like, the funniest thing. <laughs> and, like, you knew the flag was coming. And I'm pretty sure Derek Henry saw the flag, too. And then he just launched Norman, like, out of the sideline. He's like, get off me. And then the worst part for Norman is that it happened on the Titans sideline. And so all the Titans players were, you know, right in his ear. So that was, that was tough to watch. Yeah. Just an absolute ragdoll. <laughs> Derek Henry, man, he's, he is incredibly strong. So, uh, we're going to shift now to our interview with Michael Peterson. Obviously, you know, you guys know who he is. Most of you follow him. If you are not following him, I highly suggest that you do. Uh, you know, we asked him about Justin Herbert. We talked about the play calling, lots of these issues that, uh, people have been asking him. We asked him. Uh, so hopefully you guys enjoy this interview. Uh, give it a listen. All right, Chargers fans. So happy to join now by Michael Peterson, who is the community editor, community editor, excuse me, for SB Nation and lead Chargers coverage for Bolts from the Blue. Uh, we're so glad you could take the time to join us, Michael. How, how are you doing over there in Iowa? I'm not too bad, man. The weather's great. Uh, it's not too hot, not too cold, um, which is to me, it's it's football weather. So it really kind of gets me in the zone. Uh, especially, you know, at this time in the season. I love that. Football weather is, is definitely, you know, right around the corner. Um, so before we get started in, in the uh, the football news, uh, Alex is here as well. Alex has a little uh, beef with something you tweeted out a couple of days ago. Uh, I disagree with him, but I'll let him kind of take it away. Uh, right, on October 9th, 2020, at 12.45 p.m., you <laughs> tweeted, I'm obsessed with pineapple on pizza. <laughs> And uh, I'm going to give you an opportunity on our platform. You know, we have a couple hundred listeners, you know, who listen to our stuff. I'm going to give you an opportunity to apologize. First off, that was stemming from, uh, what was it? The tweet was like, comment with your hottest or like most outrageous food take, right? Mm. Like, I didn't, to me, I didn't have one that I thought was so outrageous. So I was like, whatever, this might be controversial. And then I just <laughs> said that. So, uh, no, I'm not going to apologize because never in my life. Okay. So here's what you guys need to know about me and food. I have a chef for a brother. I'm very not picky. I will try everything once. Like nothing's like bad to me. It's just something I don't prefer. I love hope. I loved Hawaiian pizza and pineapple on pizza, whatever my entire life. And it's grown into this idea that I like contrast in food. So I like having different contexts and temperatures and textures and just flavors, right? Like sweet and sour, you know, that type of stuff. So that's why I think pineapple pizza is a big deal to me because it's just, it's different. It's not boring cheese. It's not boring pepperoni. Like the basic flavors of pizza bore me they piss me off almost because it's just like everyone gets them we get it it's just classic but i like the stuff that's different um because i don't like feeling like i'm just like everybody else so maybe it's just something like that i don't know but it all makes sense to me uh someone from new jersey i just you're calling you're calling the cheese and the sauce and the bread boring you know <laughs> it's it's clear that you've never had good pizza, i mean but, I'll, I'll totally uh, agree well, with that uh to <laughs> <laughs> uh but yeah we can move on to the coaching or herbert or whatever <laughs> glad we got that out of the way yeah, yeah just had to bring that up <laughs> for the record i do agree with you i do think pineapple is pretty good on pizza in in certain situations um but yeah obviously you know there's been a lot of negativity on twitter the past couple of days because the chargers are one and four they lost some monday night football uh so what were some positive things that you took out of that game uh you know can you talk about justin herbert or, or maybe kenneth murray yeah, I'm just looking for some positivity in my life right now, and uh, hopefully you can provide some. Yeah, so I think first and foremost, you do have to touch on Justin Herbert's performance. Like, like the facts speak for themselves. You guys read all the history that he apparently made. Uh, he's the youngest player uh, as a rookie to throw for four touchdowns on Monday Night Football. That's younger than Mahomes, Jackson, and Marino, who, and I named those guys because those are the only three other rookies to throw four touchdowns on Monday night football. And I'd say that's pretty good company. You know, you could say, yeah. you know, a blind squirrel finds his nut, you know, twice a day, but uh, those are three names. It's not like there's some random guy um, in that, um, in that group, right? Like only the best of the best, at least as of right now have thrown uh, for four touchdowns on Monday night football. That's all I'm saying. So besides that, you know, the eyeball test, uh, I think I heard Steve Young say prior to the game that Herbert has one of the purest throwing motions um, he's ever seen, right? Like, I mean, you have 
real former veterans, NFL players, uh, Hall of Famers singing the praises of Herbert, right? And so then you look into the film and 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 these things do kind of jump out. I mean, it's they're obvious. It's not like you got to be a film grinder to uh, understand why Herbert's been good. It goes beyond the box score. Yes, he threw four touchdowns. That's a very good thing. But how did he throw those touchdowns? Well, the first one was he escaped the pocket with Cameron Jordan. And I believe Malcolm Jenkins coming down um, his neck and with someone I think was around his ankle at the time, launched one to Keenan Allen. And, and I think the only thing that was bad about that pass was like, he could have led him a little bit more, but like it still worked out. And this was actually the first game where Justin Herbert was better not under pressure than actually with people in his face. If you look at the numbers from the past three games prior to the Saints game, um, he, he had some of the best numbers with pressure, right? And then this game, he had a perfect passer rating while he was kept clean. And it wasn't that often in this game he was kept clean. But right. he's been able to show that he can be successful in a multitude of situations. And, and one of those situations and why I think his directional arrow of progression um, and his potential is pointing up as up as it can be is because he's been one of the best on third and longs in these money situations, these crucial downs. And to me, why a team like the the Ravens have been so good, the Chiefs have been so good, the Patriots, is because they're great on those types of downs, right? When, when a defense is like, we're about to get these guys off the field, let's make a play, the opposing offense finds a way to get these third downs done. And with Herbert this early in his career showing that he can stand in the pocket, take the pressure and deliver a bullet or a strike, whatever to these guys to keep the chains moving like that can't be understated, man. It's it's just natural to him. Right. right? Uh, It doesn't seem forced. It's not like he's trying to be who he thinks he needs to be in this offense. I think he's playing his game, taking what the defense gives him um, and just having a heck of a time doing it, man. He's out there looking like he's having a blast. So. If there's one positive takeaway from from Monday night's game and from you know the last four games, which unfortunately have been all losses, it's that it hasn't been Justin Herbert's fault. And and I think anyone who wants to point the finger at one person, one variable, are wrong because it's a multitude of things you can point. If you can point at one thing, I'll show you something else that says, hey, if this didn't happen, then that wouldn't have happened. Then that wouldn't have happened, right? Mm-hmm. So I think at the end of the day, you need know, to understand that a lot of things happen. And, and one of the problems, though, is not Justin Herbert. So, yeah, uh, the fans are not pointing the fingers at Justin Herbert. But if you look on Twitter and you search the word Lynn, uh, you'll see some interesting tweets. Right. But, um, you know, I, I don't really think at this point uh, Lynn is on the hot seat. I think that's kind of a ridiculous take after losses to the Bucks, the Saints and the Chiefs. But uh, going forward, right, they obviously kind of need to avoid going you know, having some one in seven, one in eight start, which I don't expect. Um, but what are your thoughts on the coaching staff uh, so far? And how do you see it kind of playing out the rest of the way? I think if there's any coach that has a seat that's getting warmer, it, it has to be Gus Bradley. And I think Gus Bradley, as of right now, is kind of getting by on his past resume. And everyone wants to point to what he did with Seattle and the, and the Legion of Boom and all of that, but we, we saw what happened in Jacksonville. Um, we saw what ha- what's been happening with the Chargers, obviously, the last two seasons. And to me, when you look at, when you take a step back and, and see everything he's done, you notice the players that he had at the time of his success. So when he was in Seattle and developed the Legion of Boom, like, I don't want to take away, it's not like it was all Gus Bradley, right? Yes, it was his scheme, but you have Earl Thomas, you know, beginning of his prime. You have Cam Chancellor in his prime. Same with Richard Sherman, Brandon Browner, um, all those guys, you know, uh, budding. Uh, you had KJ Wright still, Bobby Wagner, I believe, was was still young there, but still good. And um, But then you look at 2018 when the defense was really good. Well, you also had Derwin James, right? Like, who was kind of like the cornerstone player that you want in a Gus Bradley defense. Um, good pass rushers again, and Joy Bosa and Melvin Ingram. Although Joy Bosa did miss uh, nine games that season, right? They like, they still found a way to make it work and still had good players. So, with like, these last four games, man, Joy Bosa today was talking about how it's just all execution. Um, but at, <laughs> you look at the the injury list, and they're missing what is it, twelve of twenty two possible projected starters from from week one. 
Um, you're missing Derwin once again. Uh, you're not getting any pass rush. A lot of that was some help from Derwin James, and, and, and he doesn't blitz all that much. So, again, um, he's not utilizing everyone that he could. Uh, but, I, again, I, I think his seat's the hottest, right? Um, he doesn't necessarily have the talent that I think is needed to make his scheme successful. You need really good athletes and really good uh, instincts in those athletics. Like he's got good instincts, Casey Hayward, Chris Harris, um, but they're not the fastest cornerbacks, right? They're not the most twitched up. It's why you're seeing Hayward get beat a little bit more uh, this year. Harris was doing fine before he got hurt. Um, Rayshon Jenkins has all the athletic ability in the world. Unfortunately, doesn't have the same instincts. Um, Mr. Adderley's a young guy. Michael Davis, former UDFA, I think is still playing above expectations. So um, there's a lot to be left, you know, desired with this defense, right. but there's only so much you can say with the injuries. Um, and I just think right now, whatever he wants to run, they don't have the pieces right now. Right. Right. I, I couldn't agree more with that. You know, you mentioned, you know, all the injuries, you know, Justin Jones is a huge piece to this defense because it kind of frees Jerry Tillery up to be, you know, more of an efficient pass rusher, which definitely suits him. You know, he's not a run stuffing defensive tackle. So you know, injuries are certainly playing a part, definitely not making excuses, but, but it is important. Um, in terms of those injuries, Anthony Lynn said today that they could be getting some guys back. Um, you know, obviously the list of players on IR is quite ridiculous. And then you have Trey Turner, Brian Balaga. Um, who do you expect to be back the soonest out of the guys that are either on IR or didn't play last week? Uh, I would say it would be a nightmare if Trey Turner and Brian Bulaga were not back following um, the bye week, just because, you know, it, we, we haven't got a lot of clarity on the situation, but before the Bucks game, Anthony Lynn earlier in that week said, yes, Trey Turner is going to play. And then he just didn't play. He was ruled out. He was inactive. And, and after the Bucks game, um, Lynn just said, you know, he, he was ready to go. And then he just wasn't, he wasn't able to play. Um, so he didn't. And then, you know, we thought, okay, cool. Maybe he just wanted to keep him safe. Uh, so one week later for the saints, all of a sudden, like didn't practice at all. And the same thing for Brian Bulaga, we haven't heard like that. They've had these really severe injuries. It's just to us. It just seems like there's something, uh, nagging a lingering issue. Like it will be gone just with some time off, but these things have stayed, um, and if they aren't back following a bye week, I think we can start to maybe panic a little bit more about the offensive line because how does it go from not that big of a deal to they've missed a month, right? right. So that's a big mm -hmm. deal. Uh, as far as the Justin Jones and Melvin Ingram, I thought again that they didn't deal, they didn't have a, se uh, a severe injury. So um, the fact that they even were put on IR in the first place was a surprise to me. Um, so I would be again very surprised if they weren't back following the bye week, I think they're definitely needed. Like you mentioned with Jerry Taylor, Justin Jones being an important part of that. I think Melvin Ingram is just as important as well to create the book and uh, edge rushers for Jerry Tillery to play off of. Because I think I read today, Bleacher Report did an article that said Tillery was the biggest disappointment this season. And it talked about how he had a really good start. You know, he had the first sack of the season in week one. He had five quarterback hits against the Chiefs. But then ever since he's had one quarterback hit, well, the main difference is you're missing Justin Jones and you're missing Melvin Ingram. So you're missing another edge pressure and you're missing another body that helps rotate in. I think Jerry Tillery's more of a rotational pass rusher that he's not there yet as a full-time three down player at that position. Um, as far as the rest of the guys, Eckler is probably not going to be back. Um, he, he looked good. There was a video of him on exercise bike, moving around, gaining mobility again which is fantastic. I think still think he might be out another month. Um, but other than that, yeah, I'd say it's got to be those two offensive linemen. It's got to be the two defensive linemen. Otherwise, um, I'm just really worried about what's going on in that training room and what they're not telling us about those injuries. Speaking of injuries uh, and kind of recovering from this, you know, unexpected bye week, uh, what are your thoughts on kind of the four big uh, schedule changes that happened for the chargers. And are there any concerns with that schedule or any advantages like maybe injury and recovery? I think the main thing to look at with this, this schedule shuffling is it actually made, I, I think harder for the chargers to bounce back the way they possibly could have before. Um, this week was going to be the jets. And then I believe it would have been the Jags and the Dolphins. So after a one and four start against a, probably your toughest stretch of um, football to begin the season or, or in the entire season, 
you were going to possibly get the chance to bounce back and be four and four before you kind of get into the divisional games of the Broncos and the Raiders. Now, I believe after the bye, we're with the Jaguars at home. And then we go into divisional play a little bit earlier. You have the Broncos and then the Raiders who all of a sudden aren't that, uh, you know, the Raiders have been to us, I guess, you'd like it to be an easy win. Same with the Broncos, man. They haven't been that great the past couple of years, but all of a sudden um, the Raiders beat the saints, the Raiders beat the chiefs. And next thing you know, this is another team that you kind of have to circle and be like, this game may not end well for the chargers. So uh, you have an easy game. I'd say potentially if drew lock is back for the Broncos, it's a little bit harder. Broncos always play the chargers tough. Um, so you kind of circle that one, you circle the Raiders, but then you have the two easier games, the Dolphins, the, the Jets. And yes, I know the Dolphins just spanked the, the 49ers, but that was a historically bad game for Jimmy Garoppolo. They're still missing a bunch of pieces, struggling with some injuries as well. So I don't want right. to look into it all that much. So long story short, they were about to have a really soft stretch to bounce back, get some motivation, some feel good, some encouragement again, reminding themselves, hey, we can win, you know, some football games because it's been a month since they have won one before they kind of get into that tougher schedule. And now you've got some tough games in the middle of what would have been that soft schedule. And I think it may just throw everything out of whack from what they've, you know, originally expected to do in the next five weeks. That's totally fair. And, you know, to your point, the Broncos, you know, are likely getting Drew Locke back as well. So, you know, kind of a feather in their cap potentially is um, going forward. Um, you've been asked by the, uh, a lot by this, and so have we. Uh, it seems like you know Joe Reed has potentially gotten replaced by Tyron Johnson. Uh, you had some thoughts on Twitter about Joe Reed, you know, and his limitations. And um, I guess should we be worried about the the team's you know uh, decision to have him inactive the last couple of weeks? What are your thoughts on, on how they're are really not using Joe Reed this year. Yeah. So I never really expected Joe Reed to come in and challenge for uh, a starting wide receiver position or like an, an actual contributor in this one. I liked him in college. I liked his film, but you didn't come away from watching Joe Reed at Virginia saying, you know, he get, he creates separation from his fo- footwork, his route running. There's no nuance in his route running. Um, how Joe Reed won was he was just physical. Again, this is a six foot, 220 pound guy playing wide receiver, right? His favorite play, he told me in an, uh, when I interviewed him after the draft was just, um, so if you go two by two formation, he's a slot receiver and he literally just runs a five yard out. And he liked that because he knew how to run it where when he made the catch, he could uh, expect where the DB was going to be and then make a move based off that, whether it was just like throwing the guy by or what have you, like he knew how to beat that defensive back and then gain yards after the catch. And then other than that, he ran some, uh, some streaks, some slants, some gadget stuff. He, he took some handoffs out of the backfield. He didn't have a full route tree, right? Like zero through nine, he wasn't running every single route you could possibly think of. He was just using a specific way and he won in a specific way. Now I think Joe Reed's a good enough athlete and I believe his strength, his, his physicality through the catch point, um, is easily transferable to the NFL. But then you remember, man, like if he really isn't that good of a route runner, then these um, defensive backs are going to eat him alive. Right. Like, cause these guys are quick enough. They have the twitch to stay with them. So we're five weeks into the NFL season to the past two weeks. He hasn't even been active. That's a bad sign, obviously. And even for someone who didn't think he was going to challenge for a wide receiver spot, I thought for sure he was going to be their kick returner. Well, all of a sudden, now that's not even good enough, right? He's not good enough, apparently, at his one best thing to still be active on game days. And and I think a big part of that is obviously Tyron Johnson. And I didn't think Tyron Johnson was was that fast, but he's shown the capability to get behind the defense, whether it was, you know, cover zero, manned up, or, you know, splitting the safeties in cover two. He's, he's shown the ability to do that. He caught the long touchdown against the Bucks, And that's all the proof Anthony Lynn needs to say, hey, this guy can get the job done for us. And unfortunately, right now, until Reed is able to um, elevate his game to the NFL level to, to work on his route running, I think he's just going to be a developmental piece. I don't think he's a wasted draft pick by any means. But as of right now, I think he needs to develop the same way Trey Pickens did his first year and, and some of the past NFL or their draft picks that, you know, kind of just needed to adapt to the professional game. Uh, you know. There's been a lot of discussion on Twitter uh, over the last couple of days because of the new free agent uh, in Le'Veon Bell. Um, 
I don't know if it would make a lot of sense for the Chargers to do it. You know, I, I, I've kind of speculated that, you know, hey, if Eckler is going to be out another month after the bye, I don't know if it's the worst decision in the world to give him a minimum contract because, you know, he already got all that money from the Jets and he's going to still be getting paid by the Jets until next year, basically. Um, so I, I was wondering kind of what your thoughts were on potentially adding Lev Bell. Uh, Lynn is a bit of a kind of running backs minded coach. Um, Joshua Kelly hasn't quite had um, a really great performance since that opening week one against the Bengals. I was kind of wondering kind of what your thoughts would be on adding, uh, you know, also considering Justin Jackson's uh, injury history a little bit, would it make sense to add Lev Bell as a running back to, uh, to Eckler uh, for when he gets back and also to kind of, uh, you know, to carry some of that load while Eckler's going to be out for probably another month. Yeah, I, uh, I've been asked by a couple of the old guys from Bolts in the Blue to they, they're pushing me to write the article. Like, should the Chargers sign Lev Bell? <laughs> I, I don't have any interest in doing that because personally, I don't think there's there's any sort of chance. Um, Tom Telesco and in in turn Lynn love their players that they draft that they sign as UDFA's and they love to develop within. They're they're really hard pressed to ever sign anybody. Um, during the season, but I, I'll tell you what my uh, my other personal opinion is that I like Le'Veon Bell. I loved watching him with the Steelers, and to be honest, he fits the mold of what the Chargers want to use the running backs for, which is not only to establish the run game, but they like them as pass catchers. Uh, through all the days of uh, Philip Rivers, you know, Danny Woodhead was a big deal in the offense, and it was kind of because Philip Rivers was scared to throw it downfield half the time and wanted to check it down to Danny Woodhead. And that's why he loved Austin Eckler so much. So without Austin Eckler, like Justin Jackson and, and Kelly, like if you combine them, they don't make an Austin Eckler. Like they both can do okay in the passing game, but they're not the same type of back. I think if Bell is truly not like lost a step, if he's still who he is, he just was in a bad situation situation with the Jets, then I think he'd come into the Chargers and potentially have a ton of success. But again, with you know. I don't think the money's there. And I think adding another running back to a group that already has, you know, two usable uh, running backs, you know, three when Austin Eckler's healthy, I don't know how that'll shake out if Eckler um, comes back and, and Bell's still here, obviously. Um, I just think it creates a mess. And I don't think Lynn wants to deal with that. So as much as it would be cool to see Le'Veon Bell in the powder blue and potentially doing what he did in, with the Steelers, but this time with the Chargers, I think it'd be great. I just don't think it's realistic. I would agree with that as well. And definitely don't want a long-term deal there. That would definitely complicate a lot of things. Um, my last question for you, uh, your alma mater, Iowa, has become quite the offensive lineman factory. Uh, this year they have another good one in Alaric Jackson. Offensive line obviously is a big need for the Chargers. Uh, what are your thoughts on Alaric and maybe potentially him being, you know, that next great Iowa offensive lineman? Yeah, I haven't watched a ton of his film since. Uh, I mean, I watched him a little bit when when I'd watched Tristan Werbs prior to this year's draft. Um, but I think he made the right move. There was a lot of hype about him. He came out this past year. He might have been a midday two pick, probably a, a third rounder. But um, a lyric went back to Iowa, and he said this, that he wanted to become a better pass protector because I think he, he's, he does really well in the run game. I think he does have a little bit of that Mauler mentality. But, I mean, he's a – big guy like worse was six four um you know 320 i think the lyric is 320 as well but i i think he's closer to, to six six maybe even six seven i mean i could be totally off but i haven't looked at his height in a while but i remember him being like a massive human being and uh as far as a target for the chargers you know if he comes out in the seven game big 10 schedule just kills it then then sign me up i think Iowa offensive linemen are successful in the NFL, you know, whether they're a first round pick all the way to a day three pick because they're drilled and drilled and drilled in the fundamentals and the things that, that work. Iowa runs a pro style offense that has barely evolved over the last 10, 15 years, only recently um, with some new offensive coordinators have they added in some, some modern stuff, but in general, man, that offensive line is as well coached as any unit you will find. I think they overachieve for having two and three star guys, Werfs was one of the first or one of the, the few rare four-star plus type uh, prospects that come to Iowa. And they've also got another guy you should keep an eye on. Uh, center Tyler Linderbaum is a homegrown guy. He's from Solon, Iowa, which is about 15 minutes away from uh, the University of Iowa and Iowa City. 
Um, and he's, again, he's just such a tryhard man. He's only like 6'3", 295, so he's not the largest guy in the world, but he just gets after guys. So I know center might be an issue if Mike Pouncey isn't able to come back, you know, um, if it's just if he decides someday to kind of hang him up, you know, and, and Dan Feeney just isn't who the Chargers want them to be. I think he's a, a target as well. But, yeah, Alaric Jackson, man, he's got all the potential in the world, all the God-given talent. Um, but at the end of the day, he just needs to show out that he can be that pass protector because as of right now, that's what the Chargers really need. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more with it. And uh, looking forward to seeing how the this draft pans out because you know, I think Panay Sewell is pretty much guaranteed to be that first offensive tackle taken. But then there's a lot of different guys who, you know, depending on how the rest of their season pans out, they could you know shoot up that draft board. Um, Michael, this has been great, man. We thank you so much for your time and, uh, Chargers fans, make sure you're following Michael on Twitter. He's obviously involved with the press conferences and does a great job covering those. And then, uh, bolster the boot work is, you know, parallel to none as well. So Michael, thanks for joining us. And, uh, we look forward to seeing the rest of your work, the rest of the season. Yeah, guys, I appreciate it. Thanks. All right, guys, that was Michael Peterson. Again, make sure you are following him on all kinds of social media, especially Twitter. Um, Alex, did you have any major takeaways from our conversation with uh, Mr. Peterson? Uh, first, he's never had good pizza in his life. Uh, I apologize to Michael, <laughs> but the, the, it's just the facts. Um, other than that, I, I think it was kind of just interesting talking to him, uh, specifically his insight that Gus Bradley is the coordinator that he views as kind of most being on the hot seat, which I don't think is a you know wrong evaluation. Uh, the Chargers have given up 30 points in, in back-to-back games now. Uh, get you know 38 against Tampa after a second-half run, um, and then 30 against the Saints. The defense in both of the second halves has looked pretty poor um, in the last couple weeks, so it's just kind of an issue of not finishing games as they should uh, kind of defensively in the third and fourth quarters. So, uh, you know... Um, Obviously, the difficulty for Bradley, as we kind of talked about on Sunday's episode, is just he's dealing with so many injuries. But when you are dealing with so many injuries, it might be time to adjust the scheme. So uh, I I wouldn't be shocked uh, if he were to get fired at some point down the road. I still think it's a little bit too early for that uh, conversation. But if the Chargers do end up at two and seven or something, and they and they're really um, just struggling, it wouldn't surprise me if he kind of receives the treatment that someone like uh, Ken Wisenhunt got last year on the offensive side of the ball. So um, I, I thought it was interesting that he said that uh, Bradley is kind of the most on the hot seat uh, out of any person in the Chargers organization uh, at this time. Yeah, I know, uh, you know, everybody kind of hates Gus Bradley's scheme, but at the end of the day, if you have the right pieces, it can work, right? And we saw that in 2018. Uh, you know, you saw the Niners last year with with the same scheme, you know, be this incredible defense as well. So if you have the right pieces, then it can certainly work. It's just right now, you know, you're down all of your key playmakers, basically. You're down Melvin Ingram, Chris Harris, uh, Drew Tranquil, Derwin James, and then you have Uchenna and Wilson who leave early in the game. Casey Hayward leaves early in the game. Um, so it definitely is a tough spot. I, uh, yeah, I noticed this too in the game, uh, Daniel Popper pointed it out too, that they spent most of the first half actually running cover two looks and it worked, you know, Drew Brees was, was kind of, I don't want to say shaken up by it, but you know, he was clearly not seeing the field as you know, his usual self. So maybe that's something that the chargers can incorporate more often. I think if you have the pieces to do it again. I think, you know, that kind of makes things easier on this year Adderley. You know, it gives him one side of the field, gives Rayshon another side of the field, uh, instead of having, you know, the cover three deep, which is which can create some problems in certain situations. So I I just want to see them continue to mix it up and more than anything else, you know, obviously get healthy, but you know, they have to do a better job of getting more pressure on the quarterback. And they did a much better job this week against the Saints than they did the previous week. They had 22 pressures, I believe, according to PFF. And last week, they only had like 9 or 10. Um, But at the end of the day, you know, Gus Bradley needs to realize that, you know, he has limitations up front, too. And it's much more important to get pressure on the quarterback than protect yourself in the back end, which is what I feel like he's doing. I feel like that that's what he was doing last year with you know, the injuries, I felt like he was almost exclusive, exclusively playing cover three because you didn't have Adrian Phillips, you didn't have Derwin James, you had all these liabilities, right? And I feel like that's kind of what he's doing now. 
but there are also liabilities up front. You know, Jerry Tillery has not been the same player without Justin Jones. You don't have Melvin Ingram. So he said that he was going to unleash Kenneth Murray. That didn't happen. I would love to see Kenneth Murray get involved in the pass rush. Maybe you bring five more often and then you could still play cover three with man principles underneath. Um, so there are definitely some things that I would like to see Gus Bradley be able to, to switch up and, uh, moving forward. I, I think his seat's a little warm right now, but I, I don't know how anyone can really have a firm grasp of what this defense can do until they're at least like semi healthy. Yeah. Um, I, I definitely think some versatility in the scheme is warranted, right? You know, not going more cover two looks, um, and stuff like that, I think can help. People talk about um, blitzing more often than Gus Bradley usually does, and I don't know. I'm sort of mixed on that idea because <laughs> right now against the Saints this week, they had Jesse Lemonier and Isaac Rochelle playing significant snaps. So you know, right. in that concept, like blitzing more isn't really going to manufacture more pressure <laughs> when you have those two playing playing the bulk of the snaps at left and right end uh and so it'll be interesting when bosa bosa's presumably i think playing week seven ingram will likely be back because he was kind of on that three-week ir you know we'll see what happens there but if both of them are back i think then it makes sense to maybe go with a slightly more blitz heavy scheme uh and mixing it up from the usual kind of zone coverage in the secondary because you don't have Chris Harris and because you don't have Derwin James. So we'll have to see what Bradley uh, does to adjust uh, for the game uh, versus Jacksonville. But, you know, right now, if he does get, uh, you know, Ingram and Justin Jones back, I think that would be such a huge help to this defense right now uh, and kind of a, you know, a point in which they can exhale a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. That's That's totally spot on. Um, in terms of the injuries, you know, we'll obviously get to those. Um, Melvin Ingram, it feels like he should be back. Um, his whole injury situation was so weird because he was a full participant on Wednesday, full participant on Thursday, and then it was like, oh, he's out on Friday. Mm-hmm. So it was weird. I feel like he should be back. I don't know if Justin Jones is going to be back. I feel like he could miss a couple more weeks. But, you know, if you have Melvin back, then you could put him on the inside a little bit more, especially on key passing situations, put Uchenna on the outside and Joey on the other side. So, Getting Melvin back is huge for this team, and you know it allows both him and Uchenna to be a little more efficient in a smaller role, right? Because neither one's going to be playing the majority of the snaps now that Melvin's back. I think they're going to see kind of a a fifty fifty split, maybe a little you know scaled more towards Melvin because he's the veteran guy. But um, that's definitely going to be something to keep an eye on. And Uchenna's earned that role, right? He's earned that right to have more snaps and and you know i hope that this isn't going back to like you know 50 snaps for ingram and 20 snaps for uchenna and in, in, in you know the ways that it was in the past yeah i definitely think uchenna's earned the right to kind of more snaps based on his play so far i don't know if it'll be something as big as 50 20 because i think they'll also be wanting uh, they're going to want to kind of ease melvin ingram i think back into it a little bit so i think you might see something like maybe 40 45 snaps to 30 snaps i wouldn't be as shocked if that was kind of the differential i think they're going to ease him back into it a little bit uh, instead of going all out in terms of those kind of snaps unless it's just like a game where the chargers are really struggling to get uh some pass rush up front but i don't foresee that against jacksonville in the same way that you know against new orleans right um i think they'll have a bit of easier time Manu- uh, manufacturing pressure up front but uh yeah it, it'll be interesting to see how they manage all of that plus the fact that they were sort of you know load managing bosa a little bit uh when it came to the game against yeah. the saints you know he he wasn't out there for every down it, it was kind of you know they played him when they felt it was necessary and they felt uh felt he could go out there but it wasn't uh all the time so uh you know, we'll see what happens with kind of the edge situation and the line. I just really hope Justin Jones is back more than anyone else, honestly, because they really, uh, really need help in the run game. Yeah, they they miss him. And, you know, Jerry Tillery's become – he becomes a more efficient player when he's playing less, if that makes sense. Like, he needs to be a, a almost a pass rush specialist at this point. 
Um, he's just not there physically like Justin Jones is in terms of being a consistent run stuff, run stuffing defensive tackle and pass rusher. So, um, definitely need him back. As for the other injuries, Anthony Lynn said that Keenan Allen was doing, dealing with back spasms in the game. That's why he was out. So he should be back. It seemed to, it seemed like he implied that Casey Hayward was potentially dealing with a concussion. He said he got beat up a little bit and got knocked out, I guess was his phrasing. I didn't really catch that part, but, uh, he should be back. And then Uchenna also was dealing with cramps. So he should be back as well. Um, in terms of the other guys, Austin Eckler is obviously out for a while, even though, uh, he did post that video of him on the bike, but, you know, that's on a stationary exercise bikes and everybody was kind of losing their minds. Um, Eckler is going to be out for the next couple of weeks at minimum. Chris Harris is going to be out for the next, next few weeks as well. Um, I don't think that's pretty much it in terms of guys that are potentially coming back i think right uh yeah other than maybe tranquil late late into the season um but yeah, yeah it's the only other one i can think of yeah michael peterson didn't mention all, also uh brian blog and trey turner they should be back otherwise it's time to like start questioning what's going on there um trey turner certainly will help but i think this team really really misses brian blog and and I guess this is kind of segueing into our main takeaways from the film. Uh, this offensive line, man, they were horrendous on Sunday. It was so, so bad. I think maybe they had 10 positive plays, like as a whole unit where every, all five were good. That was pretty much it. And, you know, Shane Steichen, you know, he's got a lot of things to work on in, in terms of play calling and building this offense to fit his players, but this offensive line has to do better. And, you know, I tweeted this out, but as an offensive line unit, you have to have all five guys committed to their assignment and you have to do those assignments or at least, you know, go balls to the wall and trying to finish that assignment. And that just didn't happen on Sunday. And guys were trying to overcompensate for others and guys were trying to do too much in, in certain instances. Trey Pipkins was on the ground a lot. So was Sam Tevy. Ryan Groy was, you know, not handling any of the stunts very well. This offensive line was a mess on Sunday. It was just a disaster of a performance. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Pipkins and Groy in particular yeah. to me looked especially rough. Uh, Groy was <laughs> Groy. I think every, every time he's been in has been a mess. And, and we were sort of talking about, uh, I think in the pregame to the Saints, putting talking about Tyree St. Louis a little bit, um, and sort of what he brings to the run game, even though he's not the best pass blocker, he at least has that advantage. Groy doesn't really have an advantage in any capacity. He really struggled against the Panthers. He struggled against the Bucks, uh, and this is kind of his third straight week of of struggling, in my opinion, and. It, to me, it's time to maybe move on to Tyree St. Louis, but they're going to roll with Groy uh, unless Turner yeah. is healthy. Uh, so that's just the reality of it. Uh, Pipkins is kind of the same thing. He's, you know, he's been better than Groy um, to his credit. You know, he's had some good games, like the game against the Chiefs where he subbed in for Balaga, um, and uh, he He's, he got taken advantage of against the Panthers, uh, and not you know not quite as bad, but not quite as bad as his performance against the Saints. But it you know it's kind of been a mixed bag with him all season, where we've seen good Trey Pipkins and but and also really yeah. really bad Trey Pipkins. So uh, I don't know what to really make of him at this point. It's it's just kind of it is what it is. He's been bad, but. Uh, you know, there was no way that I think anyone really thought in their right minds that he was going to play to the level of Balaga. So, you know, it's just very clear that this offensive line is is really uh, hinges on those two uh, on the right side in particular. So hopefully they're back uh, for the game against Jacksonville. Well, I mean, it's a decent idea because the one time that they played uh, their XFL player on a snap, it was a touchdown. So... Uh, maybe the same thing could happen for uh, Storm Norton. Um, the main takeaway for me going forward was I think they need to get uh, run it a little bit less on early downs. Um, and, you know, we kind of said uh, let Herbert cook or something along those lines. But, I mean, Justin Jackson and Joshua Kelly, 
are just kind of, I mean, they're just not getting any um, push up front really, or any kind of momentum. Uh, and I mean, it's, it's part of the offense, partly the offensive line, partly not having someone as efficient as Austin Eckler. Um, but while Austin Eckler is out, I'd like to see them maybe do uh, kind of some quick passes, uh, slants, something like that, or even some designed runs. Cause we sort of saw a design run in this game, uh, where he fake hands off to Justin Jackson and then runs for five yards himself, which I thought was kind of a cool play. It didn't seem all that well thought out, but it, I mean, it worked for five yards, even as awkward as it was. Uh, so, you know, if you have some designed runs for him, I think he could really do uh, something with that. You know, he's not Lamar Jackson, but could he be uh, Ben Roethlisberger? Sure. I mean, could it be Carson Wentz running the ball? Right. Uh, I think he can be. So uh, I, I'd like to see him run the ball a little bit uh, on some design plays, even if it's just maybe two or three a game. Uh, and I'd like to see him pass a little more on first down because... It, it, it's, it was just a real struggle for Justin Jackson, even outside of the 39-yard run he had. The rest of it was 14 carries for 32 yards. Uh, and even though he had really good situational football on third and one, fourth and one, um, it, you know, averaging 2.5 yards per carry outside of the big one, uh, I just don't know really if that cuts it. And Kelly has been, I feel, less and less efficient every week. Um, so he's kind of really come down to earth since the Cincinnati and Kansas City games. So uh, my main takeaway was just, you know, going forward uh, until Austin Eckler is back and until the offensive line is fully healthy, Herbert's been dealing with the pressure really well. Uh, and, he, you know, he's been throwing really well, whether it's without, with or without pressure. Um, and I think you need to give him a little bit more of that really down responsibility because the running backs just uh, don't have it right now, and the right side of the offensive line just doesn't have it right now. Yeah, we've seen uh, every version of Trey Pipkins except for like decent, because he was really good against the Chiefs. <laughs> he was uh, he was okay against the Buccaneers. He was bad against the Panthers. And he was terrible on Sunday or on Monday against the uh, Saints. So it would just you know I, I've been a big well not big but. I thought that Trey Pipkins should have been the left tackle going into the season. I felt like he showed enough signs last year, but this year it's just, I haven't seen much development from last year. And that was what I was kind of, you know, hanging my hat on for him is that he would develop in, with James Campen and, and he looks a little stronger in certain situations, but you know, the athleticism is, is just not there. He's slow. Um, I don't love the way that he passes in general. He just, it's showing that he is a very inexperienced, raw kind of offensive lineman. And, you know, I'm, I'm ready to see Storm Norton. Like if I expect Brian Belaga <laughs> to be back. So maybe this is a non issue, I guess. But if Belaga misses any time or if Sam Tevy misses any time, I want them to go to Storm Norton. I don't want to see Trey Pickens anymore uh, as much as I want him to, to work out. I think that Storm Norton should be the next guy up in line instead of instead of Trey Pipkins going forward. Um, and Storm played well. He only had like seven snaps or whatever it was. But, you know, I, I'm not going to say I've seen enough to, to, you know, kind of move him ahead of Trey Pipkins. But I would like to see what they have in him. At least that would give us, you know, kind of an understanding of where this team is in terms of the tackle position going into next season and the draft. So. I think it's Storm Norton, Storm Norton time to be the third offensive swing tackle instead of Trey Pipkins. Right, and it's a tough thing for Shane Steichen, too, because the camera panned over to him a couple times, and he was just visibly frustrated that <laughs> the right side of the line isn't getting any um, any push up front. Justin Jackson and Joshua Kelly are struggling uh, to, to really you know, gain three or four yards to, to make it second and six, second and seven, or, you know, even third and four, third and five. Like it, it was just a struggle all game. And, you know, uh, people might want to blame Shane Steichen, you know, in certain spots, but I don't know if there's a lot Shane Steichen can do when the offensive line is in the state that it's in and you don't have Austin Eckler. Cause at this, at that point, you're kind of just, you're sort of sacrificing the run game and just asking Herbert to play hero ball, which is really all you can do if you if you if you don't have a successful run game and you don't have kind of some of the 
design plays for Herbert that we talked about. Maybe they're a bit afraid of overloading him, as you said, but I think you got to give a little bit more responsibility to Herbert as long as he keeps proving uh, that he can take it. Yeah, I think that's spot on too. I'm not saying that, that they have to abandon the run. Like I think that's kind of weighing on them right now, especially Anthony Lynn being a former running back and running backs coach. They just need to do a better job of kind of opening things up for the running game because, you know, using Joshua Kelly and Justin Jackson, like that's totally fine. I understand that. But like you mentioned, you know, maybe teams aren't really taking, you know, Justin Herbert as seriously as they should in terms of the run option. So I would love to see him, you know, run the ball a few more times. I would love to, they only ran one jet traditional jet sweep. The one with Jalen Guyton was more of like a reverse. Um, but the jet sweep with Tyron Johnson went for eight yards they only ran two screens. One of them ran, one of them went to Virgil Green, which was <laughs> super weird. I mean, he, it worked, but it was just funny to see that, like, of all the weapons that they, that they have, they threw a screen to Virgil Green. Um, so I mean, there are ways that you can give Justin Herbert more responsibility without, like, overloading him. And, and you know, you're not asking him to do a seven step drop on first down. You're asking him to do a simple RPO and instead of, and it off, you know, he threw, you know, he's going to throw it out wide like he did to Keenan Allen or, or keep it, or maybe you do an end around, or maybe you do just a, a short, quick, you know, five yard hitch to Hunter Henry kind of situation. Um, so I'm with you. I think there are definitely ways that this offense can be more efficient. And, you know, it starts on first down because, you know, these past couple weeks, they've been in so many third and long situations because the run game just can't get anything. And it's like they just keep on pounding their head against the wall. Like eventually this is going to work. Eventually this is going to work. And it just hasn't. Like, yeah, they've got to make some adjustments. And, and, you know, I, I like Shane Steichen. He's improved a lot, but, you know, what he calls on first and second down is really making it tough on Justin Herbert because he's always having to bail this team out. You know, third and nine, third and 10, third and 12 was a bunch of times on, on Monday. So I'm with you. I think they need to do a much better job on first and second downs. Yeah, you mentioned the 35 times a game, uh, and I think Herbert has only thrown 35 times or more once uh, in the Carolina game. He threw about 49 passes, um, which was mostly because they were down two scores in the second half. So, you know, Herbert had to throw um, that often. But, you know, it, you know, if you want to be more aggressive and kind of up the tempo, it doesn't, I, you know, I don't think it hurts. And you've seen Herbert kind of, cut down on the turnovers every week um, so and cut down on some of the mistakes. So, uh, I mean, as long as he's uh, kind of not regressing and not turning the ball over uh, in really bad ways, which he isn't, then, yeah, I think it's just time to let him cook. Yeah. So the offensive line play was kind of my, my main takeaway from my film study. Did you have anything that you wanted to mention as well? Yeah, my other just main takeaway from the film is – this team misses Chris Harris badly because um, he was just playing so good. Uh, and these last two weeks, you know, it's not coincidental that the defense was, you know, playing the way it was. Uh, and now they're, they've allowed 38 points and 30 points. Um, it's not coincidental that that coincides with Chris Harris being out. Um, he's just such a good person for the second cornerback role. Uh, slash kind of the slot role he plays and trying to insert Michael Davis into right. that uh, when that wasn't how he was playing for the first three games. That's just a really tough spot to be in. And uh, that's kind of the takeaway I had on in, in the secondary. I don't know. The linebackers are, are interesting a little bit as well. Uh, Kenneth Murray... I don't know. They're, he's still developing in pass coverage. They didn't really unleash him. As Gus Bradley said, it was more of the same from him. I'd like to see him on some more pass rush opportunities, but maybe they were just a bit... Uh, I think they might have been a bit afraid in this game of, of letting Kamara out or, you know, uh, just trying to contain some of their weapons. So, I mean, Jacksonville doesn't have the same degree of weapons the Saints does, so maybe that's kind of a unleash Kenneth Murray game. Uh, you know, if you want to uh, just go, you know, straight for uh, Gardner Minshew, who's obviously kind of their main playmaker, uh, and you want to get in the backfield, cause chaos for the run game, uh, I definitely think that's going to kind of be what Kenneth Murray's role is uh, versus uh, the Jaguars. So we'll see what happens there. 
I'm not terribly confident that he's still going to be unleashed uh, until maybe later in the year or fully unleashed, however you want to put it. But uh, I definitely think there's a chance for him in these next three games where he plays uh, sort of teams that aren't really strong when it comes to uh, either either the offensive line or running game, and they don't have a lot of playmakers. That's the case, I think, with Jacksonville and Denver at this moment. Uh, so that that's the chance, I think, to really um, let Kenneth Murray go and then, you know, uh, kind of prepare him for the very important Raiders game, obviously, and then some of the games later in the year. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a good call. And I thought it was funny, though, because he did unleash one linebacker. It's just it wasn't the one that he said because Ken, because Kaiser White blitzed five times. He had three pressures. So he said he was going to unleash Kenneth Murray and it turned out that he was going to unleash Kaiser White instead. Uh, this team's got some things to, to improve upon for sure. Uh, luckily, you know, I think this team does, you know, Joey Bosa mentioned that the priority right now is to get back to 500. I think that they can do it, man. You know, they, they've got the Raiders or they've got the Jaguars, excuse me, and the Broncos and the Raiders. So it'll be tough, but. You know, I think this team can get back to 500 in the next couple of weeks for sure. Um, so that'll do it for us today, guys. Make sure you follow us on all forms of, of social media. Don't forget to use promo code guilty at Manscaped for 20% off. For Alex and Tyler, you can catch us on social media at GC Podcast 17, at Tyler J. Tyler J. Shoon, excuse me, at Alex Landsdorf, and at Stephen I. Haglin. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time.